Yo, yo, yo. How's it going? My name is Corbin Ford. You can follow me at Corbin NBA on Twitter. Let me tell you, I love the National Basketball Association, everything about it. And NBA Today gives me the opportunity to talk about it with y'all. The ins, the outs, NBA from all angles, from current hot topics to flashbacks in the NBA's past to literally everything in between. And yes, that includes NBA Twitter. NBA Today is the show for the hoop junkies on hoop ball. Check it out. NBA Today with Corbin Ford. I look forward to talking with y'all real soon. The following is a Hoop Bowl presentation. What is going on? This is the Hoop Ball Clippers podcast, and we come to you on a Thursday early afternoon as the Los Angeles Clippers are out. The playoffs are over. The dreams of a title in 2020 are over. The 3-1 collapse is complete. Unfortunately, it's on to 2021 for the Los Angeles Clippers if they want to get that coveted NBA title and frankly, get that coveted spot in the Western Conference Finals. We're going to break it down today with Andrew Greif. Going to bring Andrew on and talk about that 3-1 collapse. Look ahead to next year and also a couple of articles that he wrote on the LA Times that we'll touch on. Obviously get into this on-off switch that the Clippers have seemed to go with throughout this entire season where we see them look incredible at times and then look awful at times. Talk about the chemistry. That was a word that was brought up a lot post-game after the Clippers squandered another double-digit lead in game number seven. And then also, of course, we'll talk about free agency. Unrestricted free agents and Montrez Harrell and Marcus Morris. What's going to happen with those two guys? Do the Clippers end up keeping the core that they have right now in place? Or do they try and make some moves? Because clearly this team was exposed in the playoffs. And when I say exposed, I mean Montrez Harrell once again was not good in on the defensive side of the ball in game number seven. I mean, he provided some offense, but when you have Montrez Harrell playing 20-something minutes, while Zoo, by the way, only plays about 15 in a decisive game seven, things just aren't going to go your way. And I wanted to bring a podcast to you this week, of course, I said that I was going to have one after game number seven, but frankly, as someone that's been a fan of this team since 2002 or so, 18 years, and then to have a chance to take on the Lakers in the Western Conference Final just ripped away from you, uh, yeah, devastated would be kind as to how I felt after game seven, just absolutely defeated, I was heartbroken, and frankly, haven't felt that upset and sad apart from family deaths or something like that. You know, it, it really feels like sports at times can become silly with how invested you get. But that's how invested I am with this Clippers team and how excited I was about the potential for this season. And there is potential, of course, for next season, but it gets harder when you have the Golden State Warriors that get Clay and Steph back, KD and Kyrie obviously back in Brooklyn. The Western Conference in general will just be better, and the Clippers are going to need to be better as well. So we'll talk to Andrew and see how that happens, because for the Clippers, the time is now. You don't have much time to waste, because after next season, Kawhi and PG can opt out, and all of a sudden, you can go from having two superstars and 
become the NBA title favorites to all of a sudden you look down the barrel of having very few draft picks since you traded several of them. You have some pick swaps in there because the league doesn't allow you to trade every single pick. And you could lose Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. And right now, that would mean probably being a bottom three to five team in the NBA. So just like that, you flick your wrist and all of a sudden, things could switch. I mean, all you got to do is snap of the fingers and poof, the Clippers' chances of an NBA title go away. So before we get to Andrew, of course, I have to tell you about our friends over at Manscaped. Support for Hoopball is brought to you by the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. They obsess over their technology developments provide you the best tools for your grooming experience, whether you got that quarantine beard growing or you got some hair down low that you want to get rid of. Manscaped has that 3.0 lawnmower. That lawnmower 3.0 is incredible. Their third-generation trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce manscaping accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. They spent 18 months, 18, that's a year and a half, perfecting the greatest hair trimmer ever created, and they released that Lawnmower 3.0, which you can bring in the shower because they've got that incredible water resistant technology. And of course, there's a light as well. So it makes it extra bright to make sure that while you're trimming, you don't have those nicks and cuts that at times could be really, really annoying. Let's not forget about the charging stand as well. You can show your mower off loud and proud because this intelligently designed stand is a convenient charging dock powered by USB. If you're listening to me speak right now, I want you to experience it firsthand for yourself. Get 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code HOOPBALL20 at manscaped.com. All right, let's talk some hoops with Andrew Greif. I couldn't do this alone after game number seven on Tuesday. I just couldn't. I had to wait a couple days. I had to let my tears flow. And now Andrew Greif of the LA Times is going to join me once again on the Hoopball Clippers podcast. Andrew, welcome back. Uh, And I wish it was under better circumstances, the Clippers actually reaching the Western Conference Finals. But welcome back, my man. Thank you. I I, I do feel like this is kind of a wake. Uh, it's, It's a... It's a, it's a tough atmosphere. <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. And you were there in the bubble for a while, and you saw this team up close and personal. And then the Dallas series, the Clippers looked – I mean, they had that on-off switch. It really seems like they continued to use throughout this regular season where they tried to turn it on at certain times. And frankly, looking back on it now, I think it's very possible the Clippers would have lost that series if – the Porzingis ejection doesn't happen if Porzingis stays healthy and if Luca doesn't turn his ankle. I mean, all those things combined, the way this team just continued to collapse in the second half, it's possible they could have lost that Dallas series, but it came back to bite them with the refusal to play four full quarters and just a really bad way to go out, man. I mean, you, you have double-digit lead in three straight games. You throw away game five. You throw away game six. And then game seven, I said it after game five on this pod, if it went to a game seven, the Clippers were toast because any single situation there, if Denver goes down by 20, they still have hope. If the Clippers go down by 20, they're screwed. If it's tied, which it was close to at halftime, Denver had hope. There was no situation there where you made Denver scared. And there were plenty of other situations where the Clippers were just going to be on their back heels and it ended up not working out for the team. And it just was a bad way to go out, Andrew. Yeah, it's, you know, that, that same team six days ago that was up 3-1, and it was just like, this is where they should have been. Um, they were, they, in game four, I thought 
played really controlled. And I even put it in my game story. I remember because it was like Denver was making some runs in that game. And every time they'd get close and, uh, you know, to kind of taking the thing, taking the energy over, taking the momentum over, the Clippers would very calmly push them away and kind of diffuse the trouble. And it was like, okay, this team is, um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely finding its, its rhythm and is finding how to, um, you know, not only build big leads, but protect them, which we saw, you know, go around game two. And um, yeah, that was coming off of game three when they really stole the game. I thought that Denver played pretty well. And then like, you could just see like, like the Clippers were like, we're not going to lose this one. And they won it. So to see those game three and game four performances, I thought you saw like, okay, you saw that urgency um, emerging. You saw that, that focus, the ability to snuff out a team. So that's why five, six, and seven, what happened in those games in those second halves specifically was, I think, so surprising just because it seemed like the Clippers had started to really get it down and were kind of really understanding how to put away um, teams and to rally and just, yeah, um, obviously it didn't happen though. And the thing that it kind of came up again and again yesterday um, talking to people around the league was just, they felt like they gave all the credit to Denver. Um, you know, Jokic was a, the best player in the series mm-hmm. um, from, and, and Murray was the best player in game seven. Um, and Mike Malone did an amazing job coaching that team, um, getting them to believe again when they're down three, one, but they really, there was a this belief that it seemed like, you know, the Clippers, what happened to them was kind of avoidable, you know, like there were a lot of factors that could have been avoided, uh, and they could have gotten gotten that breakthrough Western Conference Finals berth. So that's what was kind of like sitting weirdly with people was like, huh, like really? Did that have to happen? No, so, yeah, exactly. And it didn't. Yeah. I mean, it didn't. We'll go into the details of that in just a second. The one thing that people continue to bring up uh, during games is when, let's say, the Clippers go up by that number 19 total. If they go up by 19 and all of a sudden Denver goes on a run. Like, listen, basketball is a game of runs. Look at every single game you turn on. And even look at the Celtics heat. I mean, the Celtics were up and the heat came back. The Bucks were up and the heat came back. I mean, that happens in basketball. You go up and then the teams are going to come back. And the deciding factor is, do you end up stopping those runs and having the fortitude to get over the line and make those shots at the end? And the Clippers got into a situation in the fourth quarter where they just couldn't make a shot. I mean, it is the most Clippers thing ever. For Kawhi Leonard, who is known as one of the best playoff performers, to go completely ice cold in the fourth quarter. It's just completely Clippers. I mean, Kawhi was one for 11 in the second half. And you mentioned this in your article that he averaged about 11 points in the second halves alone before game seven. And for him to go one for 11 and for him and PG to disappear is just classic Clippers. And it's just one of those things where you want to avoid it. But these things just continue to pop up with this team. And you now have the pleasure of covering this team for the times that the Clipper curse and Bill Plaschke wrote about it. it, It's alive and well. I mean, for if you would have had somebody tell you that in game seven, Kawhi Leonard was going to go one for 11 in the second half and the Clippers would go through a spurt where they just couldn't make a shot. Would you believe them? No, no, of course not. You know, as, as doc said, um, the day before game seven, I kind of asked him about Kawhi and I meant I was, the point of my question was to ask him, like, does Kawhi discuss, do you hear him discuss his past Game 7 experience with guys to, like, pass along, hey, here's how it might feel, or just anything, just insight in what a Game 7 could bring. Because 
a game seven is feels very different. Yeah. Um, I didn't quite get to that part of the question before Doc started answering it, but he basically said like Kawhi to him is going is unshakable, and that it gave him a lot of comfort knowing that um, whether he's going to play well or play poorly, uh, he he's not going to shrink from the moment. And I didn't, you know, I didn't think he shrunk from the moment. I thought that he was still taking those shots in the fourth quarter. Um, he didn't, you know, I thought some of his lift was kind of gone, which was um, something that was, I, I don't know if that was the every other day format that was kind of uh, breaking him down a little bit, but just some of the lift was in there physically. He didn't look as kind of like explosive as he had against Dallas, for example. But I did think he was still attacking and still kind of like trying to, to make those plays. Um, but yeah, it was just stunning that the plays didn't work because this was the guy in game six of Dallas who single-handedly closed that series when everybody else in the Clippers seemed like they were really struggling to figure out, okay, how do we do this? How do we put away this team for good? Kawhi, Kawhi knew and he showed it and everyone after the game said, yes, we looked to him for all of our, for all of our answers. Um, you know, I, I do think that he didn't shrink from the moment in game seven. He just had maybe the worst timed um, second half performance of his playoff life. But it was, uh, it was just stunning to see kind of how um, everybody was just very ineffective in that second half. I mean, he had missed dunks from Jermichael Green. You had missed layups. You had just missed wide open threes from 40% shooters. Um, just a, yeah, just a confluence of events that obviously is going to be reviewed. Um, I'm sure inside Clippers headquarters for next week's, yeah, and this team just they, they couldn't buy a shot, and, and it was unfortunate. And that's why you don't let it go to a game seven, Andrew. I mean, that's why you put it away in games five and six, and you lead by sixteen and nineteen respectively. I mean, that's why you put it away because you go to a game seven, and crazy shit happens. I mean, it really is that simple. And Kawhi couldn't hit a shot, PG couldn't hit a shot, and Jamal Murray outscored Kawhi and PG. I mean, if you would have told somebody going into this series that Kawhi Leonard and Paul George are going to be outscored by Jamal Murray in a deciding game. Normally I wouldn't believe you, but because it's the Clippers, I would, but that's just not something that would happen. And now the question is, what do the Clippers do? I mean, really, what is the, what do the Clippers do? And uh, I wanted to leave this for later on, but I think now is a good way to, now is a good time to segue to it with free agency and what this team will do. And you have a couple of articles up by the way, on the LA times, one of them is called What Went Wrong for the Clippers and Where Do They Go Now? So go ahead and check out what Andrew has to say about that. And also, he says the Clippers still have next season. That's the headline. Keep them, by the way, Andrew does not write the headlines. Five takeaways from Game 7 <laughs> loss to Nuggets. So there's his five takeaways and also looking ahead to next season. So let's look ahead to next season. You have Montrez Harrell, unrestricted free agent. Stop me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, by the way. Harrell, unrestricted free agent. Marcus Morris, unrestricted free agent. Jermichael Green has a player option for next season. Uh, what do you do? Because I have talked about this over the last couple of podcasts and most recently with Justin Wilson on the Sunday podcast where this really is an enormous season and this was the best chance for the Clippers because if you don't do anything next year and you go out in the same spot next season, it's very possible that Kawhi and PG leave and you end up having very few draft picks, and those draft picks are draft swaps, so you're going to get the worst of the two picks, and you very well could go back to being a bottom three, bottom five franchise in the NBA. So what do the Clippers do now? Because uh, we're going to talk about this, I think, a little bit later, because we'll go back to the actual series itself, but Montrez Harrell was awful. I mean, he was awful, and 
I talked about this with Justin probably about a month ago about whether Trez even should be playing in these games because does it make sense with the way the team was playing to even incorporate Trez? Would that hurt the team or help the team? It turned out to hurt the team. So what do you do? Because he was slated probably to make around, I would say, just a guess, around $80 million. Now there's no chance in hell he makes that much money. So what do you do if you're the Clippers? I, you know, talking to a couple people from around the league yesterday, there was a sense that, like, there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of glee from some corners about seeing the Clippers go out because uh, there'd been so much talk about them kind of being microwave uh, championship contenders, as in just it's over so quickly. They came together and boom, here they are. They're ready to go, ready to win a title. And, um, you know, I, I think that there was some, a lot of uh, suspense in terms of like, okay, let's see how this goes. And after they've lost, obviously you saw on Twitter that night, I mean, it was just a bloodbath in yeah. terms of the comments. Um, so everyone was getting their kicks in. Um, and one, one person I talked with an executive said that, you know, uh, it's, it's all kind of well and good right now, but a lot of people would still love to have that roster for next year. And so his opinion was that if the Clippers run it mostly back, um, he felt that they could still easily be, you know, a top four team in the West, um, still have reasonable expectations to contend for a championship. Um, so there was a sense of almost like, yes, changes have to be made, but, um, maybe don't panic. Um, you know, this was a totally a failure, um, of living up to expectations, but at the same time, um, there was a sense that they still, if they can get, um, you know, Marcus Morris back, um, he, who's going to be a free agent. They thought, you know, that, that he, they, there was an expectation. I would agree with that, that like, he probably will shoot better from three next year. Yeah. Um, and he just was not a good three point shooter ever since the trade. That was really surprising. That just kind of continued. I mean, pretty good in the first, first round of the series of the playoffs, I will say, but overall, um, not quite the offensive weapon. I think that was envisioned. Uh, Trez is, uh, I think it comes down to a, a number for Trez, you know, like it's, I think he's still a quality player who, if you're going to play an 82 game season, um, gives you a lot of, a lot of minutes, a lot of, uh, points. Um, but it's, uh, you know, he is a largely a backup and he's, and he was, he's six foot seven. Obviously we already kind of knew that he, he couldn't foul trouble or was not a great defensive matchup against some of the more elite centers, but that's, that's highlighted even more in the playoffs when rotations are shortened and those bench guys you'd normally devour aren't playing as much. Um, so I, I, I don't, I think it's, you know, whatever his, what the, the market for him is going to be really interesting because I, I, don't, I can't speak for the Clippers, but like, you know, what kind of an appetite is there for $20 million a year or $18 million a year? I mean, I, I don't know. There's just figures I'm throwing out, but um, it's, that might be tough for um, a contender to swallow, especially after his last performance. Now, with Trez, I mean, to give him credit, I guess I suppose that this was kind of a worst-case scenario in terms of circumstance where, you know, I, I don't doubt that he was in the best shape of his life, um, although he was back for an entire month. So I guess I wasn't quite – I was a little surprised to hear the conditioning brought up as one reason. I just didn't – I didn't quite understand that. So yeah, especially when they had three, a 3-1 series lead and they were up by double digits in all three games. I mean, I just don't buy that excuse. Yeah. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same camp too. So um, I, I guess – you know, the strangeness of the environment. I could, would he play that poorly again in the future playoffs? I, gosh, I, I would kind of have a hard time seeing that, but 
again, I think it comes down to a number where it's like, I think he's valuable, but to a certain point for that salary, um, given his, his size limitations, um, you know, he's not going to be as four spreader offensively for you. So, um, I, I don't quite know what to do with, with, with Trez. Um, I think that Jermichael Green is like one guy who they, they really need to bring back. Um, you know, it's a player option for $5 million. Um, you know, he could opt out and try to get some more money and still come back, even if he opts out, obviously. But I, man, if there was one player who, uh, I mean, there's multiple players where the playoffs looked pretty good for the Clippers, but I think Jermichael really showed again, his value and versatility. I thought he was a really good option against Jokic defensively at times. Obviously, um, a dependable three-point shooter didn't show up late in the second halves, but then again, very little at all showed up offensively for the Clippers as a whole in the second halves. Um, so I, I just think that Jermichael showed again why he's so useful and fits really well with this group where um, super low-key guy, a very um, even-keel personality, um, doesn't need the ball a lot, just does it, just does the work. So I like him. Uh, Reggie Jackson, you know, I don't know. I don't know what to do there. Um, hmm. So wh- I will say though that in terms of Reggie Jackson, the, the position he plays, uh, it's been definitely viewed as like point guard is the area where the Clippers must have an upgrade because um, the common consensus, at least I received, was like you know Patrick Beverly brings so much to your team, but he's not a point guard, and so they need someone who can play make it better. And essentially, you know, get look at where Kawhi has had success in his career. In Toronto with Kyle Lowry, in San Antonio with Patty Mills, with Tony Parker, you know, get him a guy who's going to uh, be a better playmaker, and maybe that takes some of the pressure off him to do that job himself in the postseason. All right, let's take a quick break to talk about our friends over at my bookie, the NBA playoffs. Boy, they are in full swing as the Western Conference Finals, Eastern Conference Finals are here. The NFL enters Week Two today. We, of course, have the NHL playoffs, so many different sports, which means so many different sports that you can win money on. At MyBookie, it's easy. You bet, you win, they pay. They've got up-to-the-minute odds on all your favorite teams, whether you want to bet on the U.S. Open with golf going on as well. I mean, golf, whether it's tennis, whether it's college football, NFL, basketball, baseball, MyBookie has it all smart bettors are always looking towards the future. In that case, that means all different sports accepting bets on all of your teams. There's never a better time to start exploring the world of online sports betting. Join today. My bookie will match your deposit 100%. You heard me 100%. You throw $100, my bookie's going to give you another $100. All you got to do is enter the promo code HoopBall when signing up. That's the promo code HoopBall when signing up. Remember, at my bookie, the terms are simple. You bet. You win, they pay. Yeah, I think there's, I want to touch on all those guys. Um, And I think there's something to be said about the fact that going into this season, I mean, you look all the way back to when this team was in Hawaii back in October, and we looked and said they have one roster spot left. You need either a backup point guard or a backup center. I mean, that was the, that was the talk before the season even started, Andrew, and there was talk of Iguodala, and everyone's like, no, that doesn't make sense. I mean, Iguodala, they don't need another wing. At the deadline, they went and got Marcus Morris, who, yes, he was a very good player. There were times when he was probably the best player on the floor for the Clippers in the playoffs, and he was a good three-point shooter at times, especially in the corner when they had those kickouts from Zoo. But at the same time, 
what the Clippers did is they got another wing, another guy that can switch to several different positions, just like Jermichael Green. And by getting Morris, even though he's a great scorer, you then played Green less minutes. You had somebody there already that could have played the Morris position. And my take on this, and I want to start with Trez because he's obviously the biggest name here, is that by having him still on the roster, Andrew, it allows Doc to have someone on the bench in Trez that he can play 18 straight minutes. And that's not what you want. You have someone there that Doc knows is there that can take minutes away from Zoo. And I think it's mighty clear at this point that Zoo needs to be playing about 30 minutes per game. And when you have Trez on the bench and you have him at your disposal, you're just so tempted to go and play him for long stretches because you need offense. And his defense was so glaring throughout the season. I mean, this was even brought up in January when the Lakers, or rather the Clippers, played against Denver. And it was funny because Justin retweeted this, that he said, you know, that, that it's going to be a problem when you have to play Lou and Trez major minutes in the playoffs because their defense is so bad. So I think that that's my biggest thing, Andrew. Curious to get your take on it, is that if you have him there, it's just a temptation for Doc to play him and eat away at the minutes that should be going to guys like Jermichael Green and Zubats. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I think that, um, you know, there is a lot of trust between Trez and Doc and, and what he can do. That's why he plays so much down the stretch of regular season games and even the playoffs. Um, so I think that if, if Trez is on the roster, you probably wouldn't see as much lineup, lineup experimentation um, as you would if he's there because you can just slot him in for, you know, 30 minutes a night, um, you know, a large bunch of it in the second half, which in the fourth quarter. Um, and it's kind of like, you'll see some of the same, um, some people that, that the Clippers have leaned on the last couple of years, kind of in those major roles, try to back out there again for 2021. So I, I agree that, you know, if he leaves, it might force some more adaptation from the Clippers to kind of really take a hard look at, okay, we can't just trust what we what we had before, but what what really makes the most sense with our five best players on the floor at any given time? So that would certainly force a, I think, a harder look at how do we go forward, how do we play, um, and and not just kind of based on what has worked for us a lot of times, but is what what can in a playoff series, um, who are truly the, the best matchups for us? Yeah, and with Harold, I mean, no. I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to go after this guy because offensively, when he's on, he's really fun to watch. I mean, his motor is incredible. He had the best motor on this entire team, and he provided a lift in several different games where the Clippers needed it. But my issue is that no player should be playing 18 straight minutes, and that happened during the regular season with Trez. I mean, he came in with six minutes left in the third, and he played the rest of the game, and Zoo sat on the bench. So as good as Trez can be offensively, and yes, he has his defensive weaknesses, which were shown right to the entire world during the playoffs. The issue is, is that he's taking away minutes from other guys that should be getting those minutes. So my, that's my biggest problem with him and why I don't think they should bring him back. I don't really care what the number is because I think by having him there, you get the temptation of this sixth man of the year to play him more than he actually should play. And that, that's why I don't want to bring him back. On the other hand, though, you mentioned Jermichael Green. That's a guy I completely agree with you. I mean, that is a guy that needs to come back. Hopefully he does that player option and doesn't decide to become a free agent where he would probably get more money because he's a guy that took even less money last year, I believe, to come back to the Clippers team. I think he was one of the last ones actually to resign with the Clippers. And he has that ability to step out and shoot the three and he can play so many different positions. 
So I agree with you. I think Jermichael Green is a guy that needs to be brought back. And then when you look at Marcus Morris, I think that's another guy. Because if you have Kawhi, PG, Marcus Morris, and Jermichael Green, all those guys can switch on different positions. It gives you so much versatility and so much shooting. The question is, Andrew, how much do you give to Marcus Morris? How much realistically can the Clippers give to Marcus Morris? Yeah, I mean, I think that, too, he had talked a lot about, um, candidly, uh, about kind of how he was so glad to have made that transition from the Knicks who were losing to a championship contender. Um, but it did come with a transition and an adjustment period where, you know, it was 15 shots a game weren't happening anymore. It was, you were, he was, you know, definitely more out of rhythm when he'd get the ball because the first two looks of course are going to be Paul and Kawhi if they're on the court together. Um, so I think that did take an adjustment period and would he sign up for that again to kind of have a, a lower profile as he kind of, enters maybe the latter half of his career. I don't know. Um, did, would he actually want to take a more you know, kind of prominent offensive role on the team? Um, I'm, I suppose these are all questions for him, but I, I really do think that he wanted to make this thing work and, to, and come to a winner. I, I mean, just kind of, I thought that John Hollinger um, had a really good breakdown of like kind of the cap yesterday when I was reading and, um, you know, looks like they have a little less than $30 million um, for kind of what they, where they can go from here potentially. And do you, you know, eat up more than half of that um, for Marcus Morris? Um, I, you know, again, I think that he has a lot of qualities that make a lot of sense for this team. Um, uh, but, do you know, if, have they seen kind of what he can bring? Do they, or do they, do they say, oh, well, you know, maybe, maybe he's not the shooter we thought he was. I don't know, but I, I, th- I think he's valuable to bring back again. I just think that he had such an odd, I mean, this isn't making an excuse for like the play in the second, in the second halves of games. And especially I thought that, you know, that moment when he went chin to chin with Paul Millsap in hindsight, it really was a, a series changer because Denver awoke in game five from that play. And really from there, it was, it was, they had all the energy and the Clippers did not. Um, but he had a really weird season. I mean, he shows up within like a week, there's the all-star break within two more weeks. There's coronavirus. He comes back. Uh, he shows up like two and a half weeks late. Um, if, if there's like any case for like legitimate, didn't have rhythm guy it might be him, but still, I think he's useful. Yeah, I think he is too. And, it's tough with the numbers to try and make it work. And I think Hollinger mentioned that the Clippers, as long as they stay close to that number that uh, of this, it's not, was it salary cap? Is that the, is that the exact, is that the wording you use? I don't know if that's correct or not. Um, it was the apron. Yeah. Yeah. The luxury tax or whatever it is. Yeah. If they, they don't go over, then they get that full mid-level exception. But if they do go over, then I think that prevents them to do that mid-level exception in full and also the possibility, I don't think, of doing a sign-and-trade. So I'll be curious to see if the Clippers can pull off the sign-and-trade maybe with Trez. And what's crazy about this whole thing is looking back on it now in, in hindsight, the Clippers got rid of Blake Griffin at the perfect time. They got rid of Tobias Harris at the perfect time. And there was chatter during the trade deadline of the Clippers trading Montrez Harrell. And they could have gotten a decent amount there. I bet you could have gotten a backup center that you could have trusted in the postseason. You could have maybe gotten a backup point guard as well. And uh, they could have maybe gotten a pick. Who knows? But the Clippers had a chance to get rid of Harrell. But clearly, Doc in the front office saw something. And now, looking back on it, 
it probably wasn't the right move to keep him because now I don't think he fits on this roster. And that's the one situation. I think this is the one time where this front office that has been so good. I think they had a chance to make the move before, like they have done with two stars and Griffin and Harris, and they didn't do it, Andrew. You know, I think that, and who knows what the, what the offers were back if there were any. You know, like, yeah. who knows quite what the what the what they what they would have returned. I mean, it's a very very po- good possibility that there was just nothing that was appetizing. Mm-hmm. However, um, you know, I think that Trez really is a, um, you know, I think that he is such a kind of vocal part of that locker room that trading him, um, I think that would have been really hard. Yeah. I, I know it's a business, but like in terms of you know him, Pat Beverly, and Lou Williams are kind of the three established voices from this team ever since that Houston trade. Uh, you know, I think that Kawhi is undefeated leader, but it's a lead by example type. You know, I think Paul is kind of in that mold too. Um, Lou, Trez and Pat are those, the guys who will absolutely make their feelings known. I, you know, sometimes that's good. Sometimes it's probably not good, but they, those guys are kind of, I think um, in some ways, like kind of the gel that pro- probably uh, most binds that locker room. Um, and I just, you know, if you if you trade him, does what does that kind of does do Pat and Lou take that as a signal? Like, what are we wait, are we not contending or do we not trust? Like, why did you break up kind of one of these these core guys? That that may have been politically tricky. I don't know, but again, it may have just come down to the offense wasn't that good. Um, but I could see why you know getting rid of even selling high on a guy might have been tricky internally. Where it's like you know he he really does at least in the regular season provide huge amount of lift for that team and that roster knowing every night that um you're going to get a certain amount of you know points and rebounds et cetera, et cetera, and impact with that second unit now in the postseason it's obviously totally different and it unraveled and it looks really bad in the postseason and um, you know the discussion about why he was stuck with in those lineups for as long as he was are certainly legitimate um because it's i i asked that question yesterday to several different people and it was like yeah, we didn't know why he was in there for as long as he was either. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a, it, I know that question at the trade deadline was probably something that was uh, mobile for for a, quite a quite a long time. Yeah, and Doc even said that he's getting the analytics that everybody else is seeing. I mean, he's seeing all of that, and he sees that Montrez Harrell is a minus nineteen in fifteen minutes, while Zoo is a plus in I think eleven of thirteen games. And in six of the losses, he was still a plus. I mean, it just shows you that Zoo, clearly the team was better when he was on the floor. And so they saw the numbers, but they still went to Trez. And you bring up a tremendous point, and it's one that um, we kind of wanted to bring up last week, and we didn't, is that you don't know what firing a guy like Doc Rivers, by the way, would do to a locker room. You don't know what, what that would do to Kawhi Leonard, because Kawhi Leonard wanted to come here, and he likes Doc Rivers a lot. By the way, Doc Rivers is a tremendous coach. He's blown three 3-1 leads, but nonetheless, Doc Rivers will be back. He's a very good coach. So back to the locker room thing, you just don't know what getting rid of a guy like Trez, like you said, would do to a locker room. And with a team, and this brings me to my next point, Andrew, that there is this excuse of chemistry and the team not having their full roster when they played 19 times of the full roster and they ended up losing in the Western Conference semifinals to a Denver team that had a lot more cohesion. And of course, there's a lot that happened off the court. I mean, you mentioned it earlier when you have three players that leave the bubble because of family emergencies and you have a couple of guys in Zoo and Shamit that get covid I mean, there's a lot that happened with this team, but the chemistry issue is one that was brought up after the game, Andrew, and 
it's I don't know if it's on court chemistry and off court chemistry. It seemed like these guys did like each other off court. But that being said, like you said, if you get rid of a guy like Trez, what does that do to the chemistry in the locker room? And that's the hardest part for a front office to figure out is making sure you have that chemistry and everybody's happy, but at the same time, you have a product on the floor that can win an NBA title. I think that's the toughest thing that you have to kind of toe if you're the front office during this offseason. Yeah, and I think the, the chemistry, I mean, like, I think the on-court stuff was hampered by the amount of time they spent together or lack thereof, but I think it's just kind of one factor. Um, it probably shouldn't be like, it was It was definitely the buzzword of, of post-game, but I don't think it's like, the end all be all like, Oh my gosh, they just, that has to be it. Like, you know, people, I, I think that Denver, I mean, let's talk about them. They showed up the bubble with like eight players yep. uh, because they, their roster was ravaged by coronavirus. Um, they, you know, Gary Harris only returned kind of late in the playoffs. Um, you look at you know, Reggie Miller brought this point up on the TNT zoom call yesterday that I was on. Like he said, look up the Lakers, you know, all year they've had, uh, they've had a new coach. They've had numerous new players. Um, you know, they've had, everyone deals with chemistry in the restart when you're kind of just coming back after four months. So it's not like this is the only team that's kind of been like, oh yeah, hi. By the way, like here, who's, here's who I am. You last saw me four months ago, and now we have to go and pretend like we're on the same page again. That's that's hard to do, but ev- guess what? Everyone, every team pretty much did that, um, especially when this team, you know, they they spent time um, in. Or was it? I think it was April or May during the shutdown, going to hold, hold workouts together. That's what Paul George and Kawhi Leonard did. That's what they said. Um, this was a team that went and played pickup games for weeks before training camp last year. They went and saw a Rams game in a suite. They went deep sea fishing together. Um, they got really close during that night, August 26th, when the league was on the verge of shutting down. Um, you know, they had this kind of long talk. Doc talked about in the hallway at their, at their hotel where they said, What do we want to do here? Um, so I, I don't think these guys are not close, but I just think that, um, Lou probably said it best when I asked him like, okay, well, how did, what was the chemistry? Like, how did, how could that have been better? And, and he said that, you know, like, I think that it really was came down to like a hierarchy. You know, there were certain guys on last year's team who were, um, who had certain roles and they were so good. And then you import two new stars in a deal, by the way, that pretty much any GM in front office would do a hundred times out of a hundred. Um, but you have these new stars and they're kind of like um, the top dogs in like this hierarchy, you know, like they are the face of the franchise. And so I think it does take some time, as Lou said, to like sacrifice and figure out where you fit in that. And when you couple that with just like not really being able to practice together very often, not playing your first game together until Christmas, there's a lot of missing time there where when it's crunch time and you look at each other and you're down seven in the fourth quarter, game seven, do you really know? kind of what you're going to get from your teammate next to you. Denver did because they've been here for four consecutive playoff series in a game seven. They played in six elimination games. They, they've been through that crucible. This Clippers team between the time off, um, the, you know, the, the inability to, to get that chemistry together in terms of roles and identity and, and following through on that. Um, and the lack of kind of a true adversity this year, um, I, you know, it, it just shows up where like they, they look like deers in headlights. They, they froze and, the Denver Nuggets look very loose and very comfortable. Yeah, and now you wonder what's going to happen next year. I mean, because this is a pretty important offseason. You could say this is probably the most important offseason in Clippers history. Probably next year will be the most important because you'll need to retain Kawhi and PG or else your team just falls apart. But this one's pretty big because there's clearly something that needs to be done. And 
that loss was not great, to say the least. I mean, losing to a Denver Nuggets team, especially up 3-1, and having those double-digit leads. You just got to figure something out because it's it's right there. It really is right there. And I think that the one thing that Clippers fans can take a little bit of, I mean, just some optimism in and, and is that this team is still very good together. And also, like, I know this hurts, but it probably would have hurt even more when you would have lost the Lakers because I don't think this team as constructed would have beaten the Lakers with all the issues that they had in terms of chemistry with Doc continuing to play Harrell over Zoo, just lessons that weren't learned there. Uh, and the ability, they almost lost to Dallas, like I said. You lost to Denver. I think you probably would have lost the Lakers. But I don't know, man. It's a tough offseason. And the question is, when does this season even start? I mean, I think Kawhi made... Um, uh, he inferred that possibly March could be when they start. What do you think with people that you're talking to? Because the draft is going to be in November. So then the question is, how long do you have to incorporate those players that you end up drafting? Yeah, that was, I, I read that in uh, Dan Wojcicki's story too, about like the comment about see you in March potentially from Kawhi. And I kind of had wondered yesterday, like, is that uh, within the realm of possibility, like March? And it didn't, it wasn't like, I wasn't laughed at like, Oh, no way. Not, not March. Like I, I really don't know if um, late December is, is that feasible. Um, that had been kind of talked about. I thought early, I thought the early November, excuse me, early December date was always like way too early. Like that was, I think that was a league office, like trying to, to speak it into existence, but that, that from the very start, it didn't seem like people were going to be enthusiastic about that at all. So it felt like to me, Christmas time at the earliest, but I could see it being a mid-January potentially um, start. I, I don't know about March, but um, I, I think that, you know, once you start looking at how much money that the teams and vis-a-vis players will be losing, if these stadiums can't be played with um, can't play with fans, maybe there's a more of an appetite to say, you know what, let's push it back a little bit. You know, let's, let's start the season later. Um, I, you know, the ratings this summer weren't, I think like through the roof, but they also weren't cataclysmic. And so uh, if, if the choice is asking players, Hey, take some, take a winner off and let's I guess shift the calendar. I think players would do that. If it meant that you're not going to have them put away a huge amount of your money into escrow, um, which is what they're being asked to do right now. So uh, if that is kind of a decision, I, I would think that players would look at their wallets and say, you know what, like if we want to grow, player pool salary for you know for future seasons as well like sure let's let's try to push it back to get fans in the buildings and try to grow that revenue again yeah and you avoid going up against the nfl because the nfl will be over in february so i think it that makes some sense and because you give a couple more months also for states to get their act together when it comes to the coronavirus uh i mean optics wise a Christmas Day start would be awesome. I think that would look pretty cool if the season started uh, when they had that Christmas Day schedule. But I, I think, like you said, it may make more sense to wait a little bit because of the money that comes in through the gate um, of all these arenas and you allow the coronavirus to kind of settle, hopefully. And then, of course, as well, you have less competition when it comes to things for people to do, when, especially the NFL. But, uh, Andrew, we'll be following your stuff all throughout this off season. A uh, big thank you uh, to you for joining me throughout this entire season. It's been a pleasure to have you on. You give us a great insight into the team and uh, really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Yeah. Th- and thank you for the plugs of my work. Support, support your local beat writer, everybody. Mm-hmm. And uh, 
No, thanks for having me on, and I'm sure I'm sure. Give us a few weeks. Maybe we'll have plenty more to talk about. Yes, sir. Hopefully, we'll have you on soon. Until then, you can follow Andrew on Twitter. What is it, Andrew? Is it at Andrew Greif? Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. There you go. Follow Andrew on Twitter, and you can follow his work at the LA Times. Andrew, thanks a bunch. A big thank you, as always, to Andrew and all of our guests for joining us this entire season, whether it was Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film, who we're going to have on the podcast again, hopefully on Sunday, whether it was Andrew, whether it was Jovan Buha, whether it was Tomara Zarli, whether it was Justin Russo of Fly By Night, lots of guests that we had on throughout the season. Of course, you had the Clippers voices in Brian Seaman and, of course, Noah Eagle and Adam Oslin on the radio, all those guys really were tremendous throughout this entire season. I hope you enjoyed all the variety of guests that we were able to get on. We will be with you uh, throughout the offseason, and we'll talk about the Clippers and what's going on, of course, when it comes to the draft, when it comes to free agency. When anything happens, we'll, of course, have a podcast, and we'll try and bring you a podcast every single week throughout the offseason. Different guests that I want to bring on. There's one player that uh, used to play for the Clippers that perhaps I may try and bring on as well. So we still have good stuff coming. Follow us on Twitter at HoopBallClips is where you can find the content. Rate and review the podcast on iTunes. It really does help a bunch to give us that five-star rating. And you leave a review, it does really help us. And of course, reach out to me on Twitter. At BDMarcus is the Twitter handle. Uh, Appreciate you talking to me all throughout the season. On Twitter, I enjoyed talking to several of you guys. So please, just keep on supporting this podcast and be back better than ever before next season. But we will have a podcast um, if Justin is around on Sunday. We will have a podcast with Justin Wilson of LA Clippers Film. So until next time, I wish it was a better result. But as always, go Clips. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.